Meseches Rosh Hashanah, Peregimel, Mishnah Ches. Mishnah Ches is an addendum really to Mishnah Zayin. Mishnah Zayin had ended with a discussion about Mitzvah's Trichos Kavana. So the Mishnah extends that discussion a little bit in an egotic fashion, focusing on contexts where it may appear that certain ritualistic activities are the binding um, catalyst for various divine interventions, when in reality it's really our relationship with the Rebona Shalom um, in its most sincere and direct way that are the true that is the true arbiter of divine intervention. So says the mission of the following quoting a Pasuk in Shemos and it was when Moshe would raise his hand and the Jewish people would prevail. This is discussing the Milchama, the battle that took place between Klai Yisrael and Amalek. And the Torah tells us that Moshe sent Yehoshua to lead a group of people into battle and then Moshe climbed to the top of a hill where he raised his hands toward Shamayim and Tefillah. And when his hands were up, Klai Yisrael were victorious, and when his hands were down, Amalek was victorious. So the Mishnah asks, shel Moshe osos milchama, oshovros milchama? Was the hand, was there something magical about the hand of Moshe that by raising it, the Jewish people would succeed, and by lowering it, they would lose? Elolomerloch, but no, rather to tell you, Kolzman shehoyu Yisrael mistaklim klape mala. As long as Kla Yisrael themselves were looking heavenward and attributing their success to Hakadosh Baruch Hu, umeshabdin es libam laaviem shabashamayim, and they were subjugating their hearts to their Father in heaven. Hayu miskabrim, they would be victorious. Ve'im lav, but if not, hayu noflin, they would fall. So Moshe's raising and lowering of his arms was almost a manifestation of what was going on in the hearts of Klal Yisrael at the time. In a similar matter you find that in, in a incident that occurs that we're told about in Sefer Bamidbar, where we are told that the Jewish people at a certain point uh, became very wary of their journey in the Midbar, and they, to some extent, lost some of their amuna in HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and they began complaining of their hunger, and they did not uh, have proper HaKadosh Atov, proper gratitude for the mon that was falling from Shemayim. So they were punished by HaKadosh Baruch Hu, who sent uh, fiery snakes to bite them and kill them. And after many people had died, the Jewish people approached Moshe Rabbeinu, and he asked him to intercede. So Moshe Rabbeinu was commanded by HaKadosh Baruch Hu to create a serpent of brass, and place it on a pole where it could be seen by everyone. And when people would see it, they would live. So says, they would look into the eyes of the serpent and they would live. So says the Mishnah, is really is a serpent capable, some brass serpent capable of, um, of make, giving a person life or killing a person. But rather, says the Mishnah, when the Jewish people would look heavenward, and they would subjugate their hearts to their Father in heaven, they would be healed. If they would not do so, they would ultimately uh, perish. Then the Mishnah returns to its halachic discussion. And the Mishnah says, a person who is deaf, a person who is cognitively limited, Vikaton or a minor, ein motzi in esarab cannot be motzi, cannot 
um, include somebody else, cannot perform a mitzvah on behalf of the tzibor, of the congregation, cannot, cannot, by this the Mishnah means, cannot perform a mitzvah on behalf of any individual, either in the congregation. Anybody who is not obligated in a particular mitzvah is not um, qualified to be motzi, to include someone else in the dispensation of that mitzvah with their own mitzvah. And the reason for this is because the principle of including other people is based on kol Yisrael arevin zelazet. We are all responsible for each other. So it's only when you have the obligation to do a mitzvah that you are within that category of people who are responsible for each other. We now begin Perek Dalid. Perek Dalid begins with a discussion about Rosh Hashanah on Shabbos relative to the mitzvah of Tekiah Shofar. Says Mishnah Aleph, Yom Tov, Risho, Yom Tov Shel Rosh Hashanah, Shechali Yos Shabbos, the Yom Tov of Rosh Hashanah that actually falls out on Shabbos. So says the Gemara, says the Mishnah, Bamikdash uh, Hayu Token. So they would actually blow Shofar on Shabbos in the Beis HaMikdash. The, there is a very famous machlokas between Rashi and the Rambam, whether the word Mikdash here just means the Beis HaMikdash, which is what it means in, what, what Rashi says it means, and therefore Yerushalayim is going to fall under the next category that we're about to address, which is called Medina, or whether or not, as the Rambam holds, Mikdash refers to all of Yerushalayim, and Medina refers to only outside of Yerushalayim. And the reason why the shofar was blown in the Beis HaMikdash is because blowing shofar on Shabbos is only really an, an Isur Durabonon. And we have a principle, Ein Shvus B'Mikdash. We don't have Isur Durabonon, that uh, we don't have rabbinic decrees that stand in the way of fulfilling biblical obligations in the Beis HaMikdash itself. So says the Mishnah, but not in the general cities, either outside of the Mikdash or outside of Yerushalayim, depending on on whether you accept Rashi or the or the Rambam. Why can't we blow shofar? So says the Gemara, because the Chazal, our rabbis, were afraid that if we would have a mitzvah to blow shofar on Shabbos, that we would require assistance with blowing the shofar. It requires some expertise. And therefore, the person who's responsible for blowing the shofar would go ahead and take the shofar to an expert through the medium of a Rosh Hashanah and thus violate... Shabbos itself, so because we are concerned about them carrying Dalit Amos, we made a decree with respect to other mitzvahs as well, that they should not go ahead and blow shofar at all. But at least when the Beis HaMikdash was standing, so we all had some connection to the experience of shofar on Shabbos Rosh Hashanah, because after all, the uh, in the Mikdash we knew they were blowing it. But once the Beis Amigdash was destroyed, so now no one's blowing shofar on Shabbos. So, Mishachara Beis Amigdash, Hiskin Rav Yochanan Ben Zakkai. So one of the takanas that Rav Yochanan Ben Zakkai made following the destruction of the temple in order to preserve many of the elements of the temple experience for the Jewish people in their Golis experience. So he made a takana that we're going to blow shofar on Shabbos Anywhere where there is a bona fide Bezdin. If there's a Bezdin, then we're not worried that the community will be 
so unprepared that the individuals responsible for blowing shofar will not uh, be adequately trained and therefore require to take the shofar to an expert, but rather we're, we're pretty sure that uh, everything will work out just fine. Amar Rabbi Elazar says Rabbi Elazar lo iskin Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai lo biyavne belvad. So there are two versions of what the takana of Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai was. Either it was any place where there is a bezdin. Rabbi Elazar felt that no, the takana of Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai was only in Yavne, where there was actually a Sanhedrin of seventy-one judges, and that's where the shofar can be blown, and we don't have to worry about anything else. But outside of Yavne, that was not the case. Amar lo, so the Chachamim said to him. Yavne was meant to be a paradigm, not meant to be the exclusive uh, location. And so therefore, anywhere that is similar to Yavne in the way that it also has a bezdin, that the community also has a bezdin, would be permissible to blow chauffeur on Shabbos.